Welcome to the Business Leader Podcast. My name is Serena, and today our guest is a mergers and acquisitions expert and CEO of BCMS, a Southside M&A advisor. In this special episode of the Business Leader Podcast, we will look at the trends we are likely to see in the M&A market in the new year ahead. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email questions at businessleader.co.uk to get in touch. And now it's time to welcome Jonathan Dunn to the podcast. Welcome, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Serena, and thank you for inviting me. So last year was definitely a very interesting year in terms of the way various economic and political situations impacted the M&A space. But what were some of the key trends that we saw in 2022? Yeah, I think you're right in saying it was an interesting year. I've been in M&A pretty much all of my career, which is over 30 years now. And I think the last three, four years has been completely different in terms of what to expect and, and how to react. And so it's a very dynamic market, definitely. But change often heralds more activity and for different reasons and that sort of thing. And we certainly saw, I mean, last year, 2022, will be our best year in terms of M&A activity. And that's just a combination of lots of different things that came to effect during that period of time. Obviously, it was off the back of the COVID decline in M&A volumes, which was forced, really. And buyers began to get more comfortable and more certain about how to operate in M&A in the new world post-COVID, and we saw a bit of a bounce back because of that as well. And obviously, a lot going on with currency and energy prices and Brexit. I mean, a whole load of uncertainty, which you would expect would have a bit of a depressive effect on M&A, actually. But it didn't last year. And I think it's, it's not a clear set of reasons why that is, but it all combined to create a lot of activity. Now, I I only talk about that layer of the M&A market that we deal in, which is privately owned businesses based in the UK that are selling the time that suits the owners. Sometimes it's about retirement. Sometimes it's about health. Sometimes it's about just taking the business to a new level and they're not really capable of. So it's that layer of the market that in value terms, you'd probably be looking at a business that's worth up to 100 million sterling. That's not necessarily its revenue, just to be clear. There are plenty of businesses that turn over a lot less than that that are worth a lot more. But yeah, we deal in enterprises that are valued at up to 100 million pounds. And that layer of the market is actually quite resilient. And you mentioned there quite a few different events that really impacted the MA space quite markedly. But one of them that many experts bring up time and time again is Liz Truss's short-lived government. So how did this impact the mergers and acquisitions market in 2022? Whilst we all just stood mouths open watching those events unfold, we didn't lose any deals, actually, during that time frame. No buyers said, well, look, we cannot operate now 
in this un- this uncertainty. I think, to be honest, had that prevailed, had that uncertainty prevailed, we we probably would have seen a lot of buyers um, down tools for a while just to see how things um, things developed. Obviously, there was a huge impact on the currency. There's a huge impact on interest rates, which we're still living with, of course. But I mean, to be honest, some of that interest rate movement was expected anyway, of course. So it had a surprisingly dull effect in that sort of four-week period. We didn't see, uh, as I said, a lot of buyers run for the hills, which was a bit of a surprise and a relief, I have to say, because it was quite shocking at the time, as you remember. However, the consequences of that are still being worked out, of course, and um, buyers that are having to borrow money, uh, it's more expensive, and companies that are having to fund greater levels of debt or the same level of debt, it's it you know it's it's a bit more precarious than it was, and so we fortunately we tend to sell to companies that are quite loaded with cash, and therefore. They're just looking for a good home that can return a better level of investment than pure interest rates, of course. And so it's only those deals where the funder is having, sorry, the buyer is having to get funded where there's particular concerns about um, the ability to get that deal done in those times. And you mentioned earlier the boom that we saw post-COVID in the M&A space. Did we see much of that boom continue in 2022 or has it now come to a bit of a halt? You have to segment the M&A market down in terms of deal size. So at the top end of the market, which is um, not an area we operate in, volumes and appetite are way down, way down now. And there has been, I mean, it's all in the press, there's, there, there's been a real retrenchment of M&A activity at that level, you know, the big deals, the takeovers of multi-billion pound values, there's a real um, reduction in the confidence and the appetite and the boldness of some of those um, buyers. And the investment bankers at that end of the, the spectrum are looking at considerably lower activities next year as well as the end of this year than they had in the previous 18 months, no question about that. At the other end of the scale, where it's uh, obviously lower value deals and arguably less risk, therefore, the appetite is continuing. And it's actually fueled a bit by the favourable currency, if you're if you're a British business selling overseas. Um, we often sell to US buyers, and we've seen an even greater number of those instances where we run a sale process and the US buyer ends up being the successful buyer of the business. Uh, It's probably gone up from 50% to more like 70 at the moment. And I think that's driven in part by the currency, a bit by Brexit uh, and getting a footprint and a foothold in uh, the UK market as opposed to the European one. So uh, it's quite a few drivers specifically that's driving that that behaviour. But yeah, I, I don't expect there to be much of an adjustment to appetite and, and, and volumes in our end of the market for the foreseeable. That's really interesting. And in a more general sense, what trends might we see that were prominent 
last year continue into 2023? Yeah, I think inflation, obviously, we're going to get used to that in the next year. Higher interest rates will prevail. Energy, you know, some of those industries that are very energy reliant are clearly focused on trying to make money in that world. Not everybody can pass it on so freely to customers. Uh, it's tough, actually, for small business trying to make ends meet in these conditions. And um, I don't see that getting any easier. I do think it's a, a year where we'll all have to try and learn to live with the prevailing conditions that actually, frankly, we've not really been used to over the last 20 years uh, or so, 30 years even. So, yeah, there's definitely an adjustment in the mindset and in the ability to continue to grow business um, and grow profit. And people I know are very focused on that. But they're always winners as well in these situations. And those companies that specialize in helping reduce energy consumption, human resource, you know, talent is at such, uh, in certain areas, is just at such a premium. And those companies that can find talent uh, and engage with it and help efficiency in business so there's less reliant on human talent. There's still a lot of wins to come out of this situation, depending on the sector you're in. And we tend to deal with quite innovative, dynamic businesses that react really quite quickly and really quite successfully uh, in the face of what looks like adversity. They often turn it into opportunity. Definitely. And it can't be underestimated the impact that economic strain and the recession is having on businesses in all kinds of industries. But is there anything that you think is unique about this particular recession compared to, say, the financial crash in 2008? Yeah, I, I think there are elements of it that are unique in terms of the inflationary pressure that is being brought about by you know, the well-known causes of that. It's a global phenomenon, of course, and um, obviously the 2008 financial crisis was was global. But this is less of a financial crisis, more of a pure global economic one. And I think for that reason, there will be some uniqueness to the story that people will talk about after this in terms of how they had to cope. M&A was completely slaughtered in 2008 for a good year you know, nobody wanted to do anything because the funding just dried up and we're not seeing that now you know banks are cautious of course they are and every I mean, frankly everybody is trying to get their head around what is normal now or what they can consider to be a, a sensible case to invest by given everything that's going on that's natural and we're seeing that manifest in longer due diligence processes so you know buyers are turning more stones to see what's under them and trying to get their head around how this business can operate in today's world. This history is obviously a good proof of the future, but it's not always a key indicator, obviously. And when things change, you've got to try and work out what the business will do in the future and how it will integrate with yours and, and what challenges that might give rise to. So there's a bit more caution, but there's no less appetite, if you see what I mean. It's just taking a bit longer to get to that level of confidence that tips people over the, you know, sign sign on the dotted line. Uh, there's certainly no let up in sellers 
you won't be surprised to hear that, I'm sure. You know, you go through the last three or four years running a business when you thought you'd be out by now. You know, the seller demand to find an exit for their business is probably more than it's ever been because it's been tough. And let's face it, it's a, the area of the economy we deal with is that privately owned, entrepreneur-led business. And there's a limit that people can take. And so I think that won't abate. People will get to a point where their personal circumstances are such that they just know they need to find a different home for the business. So that isn't relenting at all. And as I said earlier, nor is the demand side. It's just a, it's just a bit different getting a deal done today as it was five years ago. And everybody's had to adapt to that. And I'm still adapting, frankly. Yeah. And um, it's really interesting. This idea of confidence tends to come up when thinking about the year ahead and boosting deals in the M&A space. But just how important is confidence over cautiousness when entering into the M&A space? And how can business owners embody that confidence in an environment that you know, isn't particularly willing for them to have confidence? It's a really good point. And ultimately, you know, you asked me what's changed. I'll tell you, that has not changed. You've always got to provide confidence to a buyer if you're selling a business, that this business is going to survive when you're not involved in it and it's going to thrive in the new owner's hands. So that's always been the name of the game. And so ways to instill that confidence, there's a lot sellers can do ahead of time, actually, to try and make the business as predictable and as certain and as resilient and as um, confidence building as they possibly can. So just a few examples, for instance, that erode confidence might be if the business is far too reliant on one particular customer. What happens if that customer decides to go elsewhere? And likewise for suppliers, if you've got one supplier or two that you very heavily depend on, these are things that fundamentally affect or weaken, if you like, the the kind of confidence that a buyer might have in a different business, which is much more better spread, maybe reliance on key customers, only like 5% of revenue or something like that. Or it's got loads of suppliers it can choose from and it's always looking at the heads and tails, the sort of flip side of the of the argument in terms of what to do to put a business in a place where the buyer looks at it and say, yeah, I, I can trust this, that when I buy it, it's going to behave in the way I expected it to. And probably the best way of doing it is to try and shore up the revenue, the forecast, the financial kind of viability of the business by creating some confidence either through contracted revenue or through recurring revenue or these these businesses that sell for a load of money that look quite small typically do so because they've locked their customers in. Customers love them. They're not going to go anywhere else and they're growing and they're just making a real success of the business. And they're the businesses because they are so well put together and so resilient that make buyers feel very, very confident about their future. And that's why you see multiples of revenue in certain sectors like software, for instance. That's really interesting. And in 2023, which industries then do you think will experience a boom? 
Yeah, I I think um, the industries I mentioned will be of great interest. Those that reduce energy, your consult around that or have products that do that, uh, energy consumption, renewables, um, the human resource sector that I mentioned because talent is so scarce. They're of it, their time at the moment. Um, but there are always sectors that are very hot anyway. Healthcare and technology, companies that supply into regulated industries. Um, it's hard to break into those. Uh, they, they will always, in, in our world anyway, they'll always feature in the kind of top five of the sectors that always deliver most in any period but you do get these kind of new entrants i mean ai is another really hot sector and it's evolving and it's nascent but if you want to see what from an MA point of view if you want to see what the the likely activity which areas it's going to be in, just look at where private equity are investing they have these kind of very very sophisticated theses that they build around but building value over the next five or ten years in a particular sector and AI was a focus of robotics and things like that for PE two or three years ago. You know, they, they read these things and they know, they know where to invest. So just look at where PE is investing and has invested. That's where the M&A is going to be. Now, in terms of which industries might suffer as a result of economic strain, perhaps that this is quite an obvious question or there's an obvious answer to this question, but which industries do you think will decline over the next year? In M&A terms, I, I think they are quite obvious, actually, Serena, as you, as you would point out. But that, those that are heavily reliant on energy consumption, um, retail is tough. Online, less so, obviously, but still tough. Um, and, yeah, so I, I think there, there will be those sectors that struggle. And if they're struggling financially and focused on survival, then the only M&A you typically get, I'm not ruling out the strategic M&A, there's always exceptions, but the only M&A you typically get are the consolidation plays, the distressed sales, dare I say the insolvency stuff as well. So they'll be busy, but not for the reasons that we tend to get excited about. I just want to come back to what you said earlier about being able to know where boom in the M&A world is, is going to happen based on private equity investment. How might investment in the M&A world shift over the next year? I fully expect the trend we've seen and enjoyed for some years now in terms of you know, the other side of the Atlantic, looking at the UK and making acquisitions. I see that very much continuing. I see less coming in from the Far East, There's uh, particularly China. I mean, I don't think it's conducive at the moment to expect that the Chinese will be able to buy much of any significance. And we see a lot of European buyers buying UK businesses too. But say we do 100 deals in the last four or five years, um, Europe and the US, where business has gone to foreign ownership, US and Europe are probably 90% of those. And I don't expect that to change. I really don't. We've got some great British businesses that that attract the um, or are coveted by foreign owners. So that's not going to change. But we do, I'm glad to say, see a lot of British businesses buying British businesses as well. And the deal we did last 
year now. Um, lovely business uh, in instrumentation. Sold for eighty million pounds um, to a British business. I never expected it to, to be honest. I really thought this was destined for. We had a lot of overseas interest in it, but uh, it was a British business that won out. So it's not like everything's going offshore. So is overseas confidence in UK business changing in any way? <clears throat> yeah, it's. I mean, let's face it. It was couldn't have got any lower, could it? Back in uh, back in September. Uh, so yes, obviously that that is improving, and I think because of Brexit, that forced some M and A actually just to get a, a foothold in the UK that they would otherwise have had by a European reach. Uh, so I think that's having an effect, and there's always been this cultural fit as well that makes a UK acquisition a bit safer than somewhere a bit more far flung or a bit more wild west. So we've got pretty much the same regulatory regimes uh, applying in the UK and the US as far as disclosure and finances and the way we account for everything. You know, it's uh, it's it's not that risky a, a proposition. So I, I think it still lends itself to, and, and let's face it, a lot of our companies export to the US. So it's a big market for the UK as well. So I don't expect that to change at all but it will improve from what it was in autumn that's for sure and are there any other trends that we haven't mentioned that we are likely to see in 2023 we touched on it but i think it's worth saying i'm 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 not sure where banking appetite is going to be during 2023 there's certainly a uh still a market for borrowing money to fund acquisitions but it feels like it's contracted a bit. It feels like, you know, the reins have been drawn in a bit on that compared to what they were. And I don't see that being released much for 2023. So if you're thinking of making an acquisition and you're thinking of borrowing for it, what I would say is expect quite a rigorous process and perhaps don't expect quite as much that you thought you might be able to borrow as you could have done pre the hike in interest rates and pre the everything we've just talked about in terms of the uncertainties that created. So I'm not sure where banking appetite is going to be over the next, uh, hopefully if there are no more earthquakes or whatever um, in, in economic terms, it won't be any worse, but I'm not convinced it's going to recover quickly in 2023. Perhaps one of my final questions to you is what would your best advice be to a seller going into the new year let's assume that a seller is an entrepreneur let's assume that they're they're established businesses okay so they would have seen good times bad times and today's times um you know my advice to people like that is uh if you are serious about selling your business then start thinking about it and start making some of the changes that are going to build confidence in the business, in the uh, in the eyes of the buyers, I would say make sure that you consider the decisions you make through that lens. So it may be that, for instance, you think you're going to renew a lease, or you're going to extend the property, or you're going to do something. But and and that may act, absolutely be the right decision for the business. But don't don't ignore the fact that it does 
makes sense if you are going to be selling the business in some point in the future to consider whether that makes sense in that context. Uh, just find that entrepreneurs classically don't put a lens like that on big decisions, expansion overseas, new products, whatever. There, there's always a right time to sell a business. And it's normally to do with the amount of appetite that you can generate in it. And um, I don't see that changing much in 2023. I mean, we're always, the key question we're asked these days is, is now a good time to be selling a business? You know? And I think the answer to that is multidimensional because if you're doing half the profit you used to do in isolation, probably now is not a good time. <laughs> yeah. But if you're, um, if you consider what the rest of your market's doing, because you don't really want to miss the boat either. So if there's a lot of consolidation going on in your market. You don't want to be the last person on the dance floor type thing. Um, if there's personal drivers that won't go away, that frankly can't go away, if it's health or if it's something like that, then of course now's a good time. <laughs> uh, so it's it's just a multidimensional thing and, and it's a holistic answer to what seems to be a financially led question in our experience it's not it's much more than a financial decision selling a business in the end it's an emotional one as much as anything else um, and it's driven by different things so i'd always keep an open mind actually in terms of that question uh, but prepare for it what's the worst that can happen you just have a better more resilient business that you decide not to sell why not that's a really great insight. Thank you, Jonathan. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Giordano News Centre to bring you the good news postcard. And your question, Jonathan, today comes from Mia, who's age 14. Hi, my name is Mia and I'm a reporter for the JDNC. My question is, would you rather only be able to travel to the past or only be able to travel to the future and why? Oh, what a brilliant question. And I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Oh, love. Great idea. And um, yeah, thanks for the question, Mia. Would I prefer to travel backwards or forwards? I think my gut feel says if I, I haven't made that many mistakes in life, thank goodness. But if I could correct those that I know I made, I'd quite like the opportunity to do that. Um I think, yeah, traveling to the future, it might be a bit scary these days. I think for me, it would be a great thing to do. But for old people like me, um, uh, the rate of change is just so quick, isn't it? And so, um, so massive. I might get a bit scared at the prospect of uh, what, what lies ahead. Um, so I reckon I'd probably go back. I don't know if that's a good answer or what she was expecting, but thanks for the question. That's a great answer, is there? Any era in particular you might like to go back to? <laughs> the, 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 the one thing I regret career-wise um, is staying too long in a role which saw me commuting for four hours every day. Wow. And, yeah, I, it all made sense at the time. And I, I've now stopped that. I stopped that when I joined BCMS and... Uh, I now have the much more favourable commute of uh, uh, just a few miles and 
it's brought me four hours a day. And when I joined BCMS 12 years ago, I decided I would try and save as much of that four hours as I possibly could and put it to good use. And I haven't done all of it, but I've still got some of it. So I still have more free time today than I would have done had I stayed in that role. So my only regret is not doing that sooner, actually. You only get one shot at this, don't you? And it would be great to be able to have created more time to invest in different things than that I lost on a train.